Now this is good. This is a good, a good view that Jennings and Macy just had. It's good to look out on a Sunday night and see these pews packed to capacity. That's pretty good. So praise the Lord for that. I'm glad everybody uh, came back tonight to the Lord's house. And we are going to be in Revelation uh, chapter 21. We are going to kind of uh, go through there. Not, not too in-depth. There's, there's a lot that probably could be preached uh, about the end of, of chapter 21. But we're not going to... We're not going to lollygag or spend too much time in there. We're just kind of going to go through and hit uh, the high points of uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through uh, 27. And next week, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we will conclude with all of chapter 22, and we will uh, be done with the book of Revelation. When I started preparing for this series in Revelation... I kind of thought I knew a little bit about Revelation, and the more I studied, the more I realized I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I know anything about Revelation. It was really uh, a challenge for me because I wanted to uh, explore uh, lots of possible options and varying opinions as to what these things uh, meant, some of which I had heard before, some of which were foreign to me, some of which I thought, mm, you know what, there's some good scriptural evidence that this could be true and some of which I, I thought personally to be off the wall, but uh, it really made me think. It really made me dig into the text and say, hmm, what does this really mean? And as I have told you guys on numerous occasions, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of it that I don't know. Uh, but we have uh, gone through there. I've tried to not just tell you uh, what I think the text means or my opinion, but also offering, offer some, some differing views, all in hopes that we would all grow together and kind of trying to learn uh, what God's Word has to tell us in the book of Revelation, even though sometimes it may be hard for us to understand. I think that it is important for us uh, as individuals, as Christians, and as a church to uh, be aware of these things that are prophetic, that, that uh, point toward the end time, that we uh, be aware of what God has given us in His Word. When God uh, gives prophecy to His people, it is so that they will know something that's coming, so that they can be prepared for, or so they they can repent of whatever uh, they need to repent of. And so uh, God's Word is good to kind of give us some insight onto what is to come. And I think that there are at least some of these things in Revelation that we have looked at, if not most, that are things that are uh, to come. And this uh, verse tonight, we are going to look at a little bit about what heaven is going to be like. We talked about that to some extent this morning, about what it's going to be like to, to be there. There's not going to be any more grief or any more suffering or any more pain or, or none of those things. And we talked about that some this morning, and we're going to go into a little more of a... Of a, of a, of a I guess you could say literal description, but then again, that's, that's, that's based on opinion. Some would say this is, this is just symbolic, like much of the rest of the book. But this is going to give us some, something to kind of, some imagery for us to think about when we think about what heaven is. So we're going to pray, and then we'll dig into the text. God, I come to you tonight, and I pray that you'd help us to get something out of this text tonight. I pray that uh, in all of these weeks that we have gone through Revelation, God, that it's not been in vain, that there has been something that, that, that we have each learned, God, that, that through this that we have strengthened our faith in you, that, that even on the, the times that we leave scratching our heads or saying, I'm, I'm not sure, dear Lord, about what your word says, that we have faith to know that you are good, dear Lord, even if we can't connect all the dots, it's okay, God, because we, we have faith in you. We trust in you just the same, whether we have all the answers or not, because, God, we know that you have all the answers, and so we trust in you. And so I pray tonight as we look at your word that it would be 
a good word, dear Lord, that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Kind of a, a long little stretch of verses I'm going to read through. We probably won't go through it verse by verse, but I do want to read through the whole text and then comment on a few things. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. You know what? I just told you all a lie. I said we wasn't going to go through verse by verse, but I think we are. I just had a change of heart, so I apologize. All right, so, so what we have here is what we, uh, what we see is kind of a, a reference that may remind you of the same type of language that was used in uh, Revelation chapter 17. In Revelation chapter 17, if you want to flip back there, you can. You don't have to. But you see uh, that same type of language in verse 1 when it talks about the woman and the scarlet beast. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute. So we have kind of a similar uh, imagery, similar language that we see here, but, but it's contrasting because what we saw in those verses in chapter 17 was we saw this, this evil that was being spoken of, but what we see here is God's glorious place that he has been prepared, and John is about to get to see all these things that, um, that God is about to show. And so the angel says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now, who is the bride of Christ? Those who are in Christ, those of us who are Christians. So if we've accepted Jesus Christ, we are the bride and the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, that's kind of interesting uh, wording there because he says, I'm going to show you the bride of Christ, but then what John actually ends up seeing is a, a holy city. Uh, Jerusalem, it says here, this new Jerusalem. Now, uh, some would say that this is symbolic language, that this is representative, that uh, this language of new Jerusalem is, is us, the church. We are the new Jerusalem. Us as God's people are this new Jerusalem, and that uh, these descriptions that we're going to see are not just uh, descriptions of a literal, physical place. These aren't the dimensions of heaven, uh, but this is just symbolic language saying that, that we who are Christians are the new Jerusalem, and that this language is symbolic, and it's not a actual a literal dimensions that we're going to see here. And so we see that, uh, that the angel is going to show John the bride and the wife of the Lamb, and then he saw Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone, bright as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with twelve gates. Twelve angels were at the gates. The name of the twelve tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The city wall had twelve foundations, and the twelve stones of the lambs of twelve apostles were on the foundation. So here we see uh, this number 12. We have encountered this number 12 before in Scripture. In particular, we've encountered it in the book of Revelation. And again, this is probably a symbolic, lang uh, uh, symbolic language, a symbolic number uh, signifying completeness. Now, it's not to say that it's not literal as well. I believe that it is literal when it talks about these, these 12 stones and these, these 12 gates and these 12 foundations that we're, that we're talking about here. I believe that these are literal things in my own personal interpretations. But uh, if they're not literal, they are definitely symbolic of God's 
completeness, that everything has been made complete, that God's plan is all come to be. Verse 15, The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its walls, 144 cubits according to human measurement, which the angel used. All right, so uh, what we have is a measuring rod that says it's 12,000 stadia. Now, I should have done a little research. I don't really know what that is, but I do know that it's 600 feet. That's, that, that is the equivalent of 600 feet. So here we have this angel with this 600-foot measuring rod, and he is measuring out this holy city. He is measuring out this place, and it says that its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured his wall, 144 cubits. Now, a cubit's going to be about 18 to 20 inches. That, that kind of varies, but you can figure it's about a foot and a half. And so that comes out to about um, two, a little over 200 feet, about 216 feet. And so what you have is this city that is measured uh, with a rod at 12,000 stadia. So you say 12,000 times 600 feet, and you come up with about 1,400 miles. So you have a, a, a literal description, it would appear here. Some would say symbolic. But if it's literal, what you come up with is a perfect cube that is 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles tall. And then you have a wall around this perfect cube, which would be uh, 12 gates there surrounding. And this wall would be uh, 216 foot. Now, that doesn't sound like a very, uh, a very big wall for something that's 1,400 miles tall. But what's going to be there to get in? It's going to be a perfect place. But anyway, that's, that's some, some argument to be made there that it could be symbolic language, although I believe that it is literal language here. I believe that what we're going to see is a beautiful heavenly place, this new Jerusalem that is going to be filled with those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. And if you take just, just at ground level, a 1,400-mile by 1,400-mile uh, square, you come up with almost 2 million square miles. That's a lot of square miles. That's far more than any city that we see in our world today by a lot. I think that uh, New York is probably around five or 6,000. Uh, Tokyo is like 3,000 or a little more. And they've got 33 million people that live in Tokyo. So you can imagine 2 million square miles, it's probably going to be big enough and sufficient enough to hold all the saints that have gone before us and those of us who are here and those who will come after us if it's a literal place. Who knows how many people will be in heaven. But we have a, a description here, some specific measurements about the dimensions of this new Jerusalem. And it said that it was measured according to human measurements. Alright, verse 18. The building material of its walls was jasper and the city was pure gold like, like clear glass. Now that is some pure gold. Like we see gold and it's got a reflection. We can see the goldness. I can't even imagine. I don't know that I've ever in my life seen glass that was so, or excuse me, gold that was so clear and pure that it looked like glass. That's going to be some of the purest, not some of, it's going to be the purest gold that we have ever seen in our life because our Lord God has created it. Here we have a perfect place and we have this beautiful pure gold that's going to be there along with the jasper. The foundation of the city walls, the foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation, jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, 
Chalcedony, the fourth, Emerald, the fifth, Sardonyx, the sixth, Carnelian, the seventh, Chrysolite, the eighth, Beryl, the ninth, Topaz, the tenth, Chrysoprase, the eleventh, Jacinth, the twelfth, Amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The broad street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And so here we see adding to the beauty here. We see uh, this beautiful place with these beautiful stones and these 12 gates that are made out of these giant pearls. Now, some of you in here may have pearls. I mean, I've never seen any huge pearls in my life. Most of the probably the biggest ones I've seen maybe look something like that. I don't even know if, if, if those are even real or fake. Those that I see that are this big. I don't know how big a pearl can get. But these that we see that are going to be the gates in heaven are going to be these huge giant pearls we are going to see these beautiful stones we are going to see streets that are pure as gold something here uh, that is the most valuable thing on this earth and that is gold supposedly what all of our money is backed by money is only as good as gold because gold is the most valuable thing it's the thing that is of the utmost value on this earth but in heaven it's going to be what we walk on that's a pretty good deal God has spared no expense, so to speak. God has made a perfect place. Now, I know we talked about uh, some differing views that maybe this, is, this, this city is representative of Christians, not a literal city, but I believe it is, and I believe that this is very specific language. These things uh, that, that, that John is seeing here, is he's seeing these big gates made of pearl. He's seeing this street made of gold. I think he's seeing an actual, physical, literal place that those who are in Christ will be dwelling in. Verse 22, I did not see a sanctuary in it because the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its sanctuary so right here at the center of heaven at the middle of everything is going to be God is going to be our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that's what heaven is that is what should be our our, our desire to get to heaven now that's going to be a beautiful place don't get me wrong I'm going to love to be there I'm going to love to walk on streets of gold. I'm going to love to see the beauty that will be all around. But what should be our biggest and greatest desire as Christians is to see God who loved us enough to send His Son. It's to see the one, the Son, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us. And there in heaven will be God the Father and Jesus the Son. And that should be what we desire for. You know, I remember... Some of you may have had a similar experience, but I remember growing up, there was a, there was a big fear for me of hell. Like, I remember coming and hearing, uh, hearing about hell and hearing about the devil, and that was, a, that was a big fear for me. My parents can tell you, when it got time for sleep at night, I was always scared that the devil was, was going to get me. That was, a, that was a legitimate fear, and I, and I wanted to be saved. I wanted to be saved because I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. And that's okay. I think, I think that the Holy Spirit can convict us and sometimes God uses those sermons to get people's attention. But what I realized as I became a Christian is that it wasn't just about not going to hell anymore for me. It was about going to Jesus. Because Jesus was my Savior. I trusted in Him. I believed Him. I knew He was my Savior. By asking Him to come into my heart, He had saved me from that hell that I was so afraid of. But as I began to grow and mature as a Christian, Jesus became more than just a Savior. 
He's become my Lord. And so my desire is not just to not go to hell, but my desire is to go to Jesus. And that's what our desire should be. That's what heaven is going to be because I can't tell you exactly what heaven's going to be like. We have a beautiful description here. And I can't tell you all the little nuances or is this going to be in heaven or is that going to be in heaven. I don't know everything that's going to be in heaven and I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I know Jesus is going to be there. And everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary because we are going to be with our Lord. Let's read a little further. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light. Another reason why I think this is to be taken literal, here we have a reference of the nations that appears to be people who are walking in the light of the Lord. So if, uh, if, if Christians are supposed to be representative of Jerusalem, then who are these people who are walking in this city? It would appear as though that this is a literal, physical uh, place and that Christians will be there and they will be the nations that walk in the light of the Lord. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day its gates will never close because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing profane will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those named, only those written in the Lamb's book of life. The gates will never close because there will be no more evil because we have seen all the evil and sinfulness done away with. It has all been cast into the lake of fire. Uh, the devil has been cast into the lake of fire. The beast, or the Antichrist, as we may refer to him sometimes, has been cast into the lake of fire. The false prophet has been cast into the lake of fire. Those who have rejected Jesus Christ have been cast into the lake of fire. And so there is no one else to bring any sinfulness into this place, and its gates can be open all the time. And that's a a glorious place. You know, as a preacher, I'm just, I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm thinking, I don't preach on heaven enough. I don't make enough point to point out the gloriousness that is going to be heaven, not just the beauty of the place, but the glory of the Savior that's going to be there. The glory of the Savior who desires to be with you, as I mentioned this morning. Even a sinful old you, Jesus was willing to marry you anyway. If you come to him, he's willing to be your groom. That reminds me of, of my grandma, Irene. Whenever Michelle and I were first getting married, my grandma found out the news. She sent Michelle a message on Facebook, and she said, I'm, I just wanted to let you know I'm so, so glad that, that somebody finally came along that could get over the fact that Shannon was a preacher. <laughs> and, 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 and that made me think that's kind of how it is with Jesus with us he's, he's somebody that can get over the fact that, that we're a sinner not, that our sin, not to belittle our sin not that our sin is not massive but Jesus knew who we were and he said I don't care who you are I'm going to die for you and if you come to me I'll forgive you and that's what Jesus does and it's a work it's a work in progress he takes that, that darkness that sinfulness in us and he, and he makes it something beautiful and when it's all said and done, we become something beautiful and we get to heaven with him. I was thinking about, about my wedding ring. We were at a, we were at a, at, at a wedding yesterday and the, and the uh, preacher was saying that wedding rings are gold and they're pure and they represent something that, that never wears, something that never fades, something that stays just as beautiful for all time. And I kind of looked at Michelle because, because we got some rings 
and they don't hold up. And I'm thinking, I hope that's not symbolic of our marriage because they, because they're war. We got these black dark rings, and 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 I thought they were cool looking, but mine has started to wear a little bit, and hers has wore a lot. It's no longer black; it's completely silver. But you know what? Over the last few months, I like the way hers looks better than what it looked like originally. And I thought, well, that's probably a better illustration because this is what we kind of look like as as people. We're kind of we're kind of black. And as we accept Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins to convict us and show us things, some of that blackness begins to wear off. And when all that wears off and we are cleansed and we are made a new person, what is underneath there, what we thought was nice and beautiful before, there's something more beautiful that we never could have imagined. And it takes time for that to take place. And and we are a work in progress as Christians. Jesus is always, he's always kind of scuffing us up like sandpaper, you know, right? Like reading the Bible for me, I don't know about for you guys, but when I read the Bible, it's like sandpaper. Because I've got all these things all in my heart, and they shouldn't be there. There's these little rough edges of sin and bitterness and anger and just being quick to judge and having a bad attitude. And boy, I start reading that, that Bible, and it's like some super high, what's some super high grit sandpaper? Like 80 grit or something? Is that pretty high grit sandpaper? That's what it feels like on my heart, just rubbing, boy, on them areas. It's like, man. And that's what God's Word does for us because God wants us to be ready for this day. Because God has prepared a perfect place for us, and He wants us to long for that place, to desire for not just that place, but for Jesus. And so all these struggles and trials and everything that we may go through in this life, know that God is getting us ready. He's getting our hearts ready. He's getting our minds focused on what they need to be on, and that's Jesus. So that when that day comes, we'll be ready for Him. And we won't be perfect in this world. But when that day comes, we will be made perfect. And it's not because of what we do. It's because of what Jesus did. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to be in this place. And I want to be with Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your good word tonight. We thank you for this beautiful description of what we can look forward to in the life to come. We thank you for these reminders that we saw both at the end of the, of the verses today And at the end of the verses tonight, they remind us that, look, it's going to be a beautiful place and there is going to be no evil there. It's going to be a beautiful place and and you're going to be there, dear Lord. And so we thank you that you would love us enough to desire to be with us so that we even have an opportunity to be there. And I thank you for these, these words tonight that we looked at and I pray that you would help us to Get our focus straight. God, that you would help us to know that that you're working on us, God. That you would help us to know that there are areas in our life that that shouldn't be there. But you give us your word to help, help us see those things. You give us the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, to help us kind of be scuffed up a little bit and smooth out those areas, dear Lord. And so we thank you for guiding us with your word and guiding us with the Holy Spirit, that he would be there to, to help us to be who you want us to be. So God, I pray that you would help each one of us to to keep our focus on what heaven is and that heaven is going to be an eternity with you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.